0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank God. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's pick back up here and let's go on in verse
0: number 18. Is any man called being circumcised? All right. Let him not become uncircumcised. Yes. Is any called in uncircumcision? Yes. Let him not be circumcised. All right. Circumcision is nothing. Yes. And uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. All right. So, so
1: Paul is in the middle of this discourse, and we're sort of jumping into the middle of the thought here, where he's saying, "Look, um, uh, don't." He, he we had just come through the the don't divorce, don't separate. You should stay together. No matter what, even if your spouse is unbelieving, and so he's trying to navigate this way forward, he he tells them, and so now he is establishing something. And we're in this segment on our on our outline here. We are still in the abide in the same calling text, and he's getting ready to say that. So he's laying the groundwork. If you came to Christ and you were, uh, uh uncircumcised, which this was a big issue in the Jewish culture and in the Gentile culture, that was a massive deal. And um, uh, when they went to their public bathhouses, everybody didn't have private showers back then. When they go to their public bathhouses or gymnasiums or whatever, there was all kinds of uh, issues. Men, Jewish men that wanted to be more, uh, they were called Hellenists. They wanted to be more Greek. They would actually go through a process to try to undo the circumcision and this this was a very common thing that was very this is very known and forward in their culture okay this was a known thing so Paul's speaking openly about it here right at Corinth in the middle of all this uh uh and he's saying look if God saved you and you were in one place don't seek to change there's no purpose in that you, you this is vanity there's there's no there's no issue. In fact, some, some Jews would want to be uh, accepted of the Greeks or whatever, and so they were going through all this. And Paul says, no, what matters
0: is the keeping of the
1: commandments of God.
0: All right, read on. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Okay, so this is, this is what he's
1: trying to say here. Let every man, however God found you, wherever God found you, God saved you in that situation. And so, don't try to be something else to impress other people. Go on. Art thou called being a servant? Okay, so now he's going to go, uh, not just from uh, cultural, uh, physical differences, but now he's going to a social uh, status kind of class, if you will. Look at what he says. Care not not for
0: it. Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use Mm -hmm. it rather. All right. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is right. the Lord's free man. Yes. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Right? You are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. So here's something
1: else that they're trying to do. They they so now he's talking about the social class, and you have here, you have uh uh you have servants and you have freemen. So people that are uh Paul is not endorsing slavery in this sense. What he is saying is in their Uh, cultural classification, uh, he's saying, look, if Christ saved you while you are a a bondman, keep keep your job, keep going about your job, don't worry, don't don't lust after the other things of life and seek to change, because it doesn't matter. If God saved you uh, while you are a free man, don't seek to be bound. And you say, well, who would do that? Well, actually, that's a good question, because there were people back then that were doing that. People that wanted to become Roman citizens that could not would become uh, uh, lifelong servants or sometimes slaves of other Roman citizens so that they then could have the benefits of citizenship of Rome. And so Paul is saying, look, th- don't, don't, don't worry about this because if you are free, well, you really are a slave to Christ. He's, he's your Lord and Savior and Master. And, and if you are bound, well, you really have liberty through Christ. So he's talking about your earthly condition and he's setting something up. He's going somewhere with this. So he's come out of one discourse and he's he's sort of making the transition here. And he's saying, abide in the same calling. If Christ has found you, and this is what he's gonna say single, well then be content and happy to serve God single. If Christ found you married, well then be happy to serve God married. Don't use that as an excuse to say, oh, well, I got to be something else. And so he's making the absurdity. Well, do we have in the church people that are uh, uh, petitioning or, or uh, lobbying for everyone to be circumcised or uncircumcised or free or bound? No, that's absurd.
0: So read on. Brethren, let every man, wherein he is called, therein abide with God. So here he is. He's saying the same thing. He's
1: reiterating this. Where God found you, abide therein. Don't don't set your uh, uh, ambitions on something to appease and satisfy someone else in this world. Don't make that your target. I'm just trying to do this so I can make somebody else happy. No, your focus is on God. So uh, here he is. He's saying, uh, uh, for instance, and he had just talked to them, if you are married and your spouse is an unbeliever, don't come and say, oh, well, well, I got I got to leave them because, you know, I've got to serve the Lord. No, God saved you while you were in that relationship. And so God can redeem it and God can use it. So don't seek to uh, be changed. Don't, don't, I mean, we could even take this down this far. Just just because you got the Holy Ghost on Sunday doesn't have mean you have to quit your job on Monday.
0: <laughs>
1: right? So you take your Holy Ghost to the job. and God will help you. So this is the argument that he's making here, all right? Read on.
0: Now concerning virgins, I Aha. have...
1: Aha! No- all you unmarried people, here we are.
0: All right? I have no commandment of the Lord, mm-hmm. yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful.
1: So I love Paul's honesty, transparency, and his leveling here. Because he goes back and forth. He comes in the authority of God and says, all right, this, I'm telling you, this is the word of the Lord. This is not, I. you better not buck this. But then other times he says, look, okay, I'm not coming as the Lord. I'm coming as, as one saved by God. I'm coming with a testimony, but I'm giving you my best advice here. I'm giving you my best wisdom. You ask me, so I'm gonna give you what I think. Okay? So now he's talking to, and the word translated here, virgins, uh, w- would mean for us uh those that are yet unmarried. And so this is the this is the group, the culture that he's addressing. Now This is significant because who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to the Corinthians. And in Corinth, don't forget, you cannot escape the visual of what was the highest point, the goddess of Venus. You would look over and there at that temple, some say there were a thousand prostitutes serving at a time at that temple. So prostitution, sexual immorality is everywhere. And culturally, to be unmarried, it wasn't it wasn't uncommon for them to to uh, be on their second, third, whatever wife, you know, to be married several times. Uh, that was just part of their 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 understanding, their cultural custom. So to be unmarried in that kind of context, socially you were looked down upon. You were looked down upon. If you were unmarried. And we already addressed this, how Paul elevates singleness in the church. This is the passage. This is a countercultural passage where Paul is elevating singleness in the church. That we don't look down upon somebody that's not married and say, oh, bless you, God's got to have someone for you in the world. We don't go around and do that and belittle them. So Paul is giving them place and significance in the church. I love this. This is empowering. This is liberating. This is encouraging. And look at what he says. Let's go on here.
0: Read verse 26. I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress.
1: Okay. So what's he supposing? Well, he's supposing what he's getting ready to tell you is good. And this is the context. This is If you have a pen in your Bible, you need to underline this, circle this, write this down in your notes that this is good for the present distress. Hmm. Okay, so Paul has just said, now I'm going to give you my opinion, my thoughts as one who has experience with the Lord and testimony with the Lord, and this is going to be relative to your situation, and it is within the context of the distress that is going on. Okay, so now what is the distress? That's the good question. That's the big question. What is the distress? Well, we know, we know about the time that this letter is written, and we know about the time that major persecution was coming to the church. It was already brewing at this time. And so either Paul is seeing the persecution, and he's talking about the persecution there, um, or he is seeing it coming on the horizon. So we know that one of the things that would distress you would be the persecution. Now, why is Paul aware of persecution in the church, you might ask? Well, because Paul was a former or an ex-persecutor of the church. So if anybody could identify when persecution was coming, it was somebody who had been on the other side doing the persecution. And so let's take, if we will, the next few parts that Paul speaks about and put them within the context of a church Going through persecution, or if it's something else, it is a distress, and he calls it a present distress. So there's an issue that is here that's
0: going on, all right? So let's read on. What does Paul say? I say that it is good for a man so to be. All right, so he says, now
1: that's a long sentence, and I have to go back concerning virgins or unmarried. I say, it is good for them so to be. So Paul says, concerning those that are unmarried, because of the present
0: distress, I say, it's good for you that you are unmarried. Okay, read on. Art thou bound unto a wife? All right. Seek not to be loosed. Yes. Art thou loosed from a wife? Yes. Seek not a wife. All right. But, and if thou marry, Yes. Thou hast not sinned. All right. And if a virgin marries, she hath not sinned. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Aha. Now, does that make sense? When he says
1: you're going to have trouble, he's talking in the context of the present Distress. There is an impending danger. There's a distress upon the church. And Paul says, therefore, now may not be the best timing to get married and to start a family. Because persecution is bad enough when you're single. You throw a wife in the mix, a husband in the mix, you throw children in the mix, and now they're dragging you out of the houses And now they're taking you away from your children. And now you're not just worried about your own body and flesh, but you're worried about all those of your own household. Paul is not coming with an argument against marriage. And Paul is not saying, aha, all you that get married, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard life. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be miserable. Don't come back here because I told you so. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying you're going to have trouble in the flesh. There's going to be issues here. There's persecution that's coming. There's a distress that's going on. And so Paul is telling them, look, you 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 may need to just, uh, may need to reevaluate your timing on this. And, and this is important. This is important, okay? So look at what he says in verse 27. Are you bound unto a wife? Now, I love that language because that's strong language. When you enter into a covenant, it is binding. It is binding. It's like the man I told you that that joined the military because he, he told me, he said, I asked him why, and he said, I'm sick of everybody telling me what to do. You know, <laughs> I want to be free. I'm going to go get me a spouse. Paul says, no, when you do that, you are bound. Amen? There there is some binding. He just said, your body's not your own. Your time's not your own. Your bed's not your own. Your car's not your own. Your house is not your own. Whatever you think you own is not your own. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not to be bound. Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, you haven't sinned. It's not a sin to get married. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to pause, slow down, and examine, why are you in a rush to get married? Okay? Okay? There's persecution, timing may not be right. This may not be the best time to go through this. So, so why don't don't be rushing into marriage because oh no, the end is coming. Armageddon's coming. I got to get married tomorrow. Because then you're going to lower your standard. Come on. The Lord's coming. He could come any day, any night. Oh Lord, give me a spouse. This should not be your motivation. All right? This is what Paul is literally telling them. We're laughing about it because we know how real this plays out. And what I'm trying to show you is this is nothing new. This had been going on for 2,000 years. And they'd been using reasons, using the coming of the Lord as an excuse. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have time to deal with my spouse. The Lord's coming. I got to work and labor. No, 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 you don't. You don't get out. And he's saying for the flip, he's saying, you know, I, I gotta get married now, the Lord's coming. He's saying, no, 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 that's not the reason. That's not slow down. All right. If you do marry, marriage is not a sin. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Now, this is an interesting thing because he speaks speaks twice here. But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she has hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. He's trying to say, look, I'm trying to help you out. That you think rushing to marriage is going to make living for God easier. You think rushing to marriage is going to solve all your problems. He's here to say, it ain't which is why scholars wonder, was Paul a widower? Was Paul a divorcee? Because the way he talks with perspective and an intuitiveness about the realities of the relationship seems like he's one that is very aware, or he's just led of the Lord and in the Holy Ghost here in speaking to them. So look at what he says here. Now let's go to verse 29
0: and let's look at what he says in Verse 29. But this I say, brethren. Yes. The time is short. All right. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. All right. And they that weep as though they wept not. Mm -hmm. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. All right. So there's five statements he makes
1: here that in the ESV are translated as if, in the KJV the first four are translated as though, and then the last one, and they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. And these five statements, what Paul is trying to say, he starts off and says, the time is short. He's trying to put everything in proper perspective. Now he's not just talking about the coming of the Lord. He's talking about the whole of life in relation to the scope of eternity. The time will come, he said, and it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Your life is short. He's putting this in perspective. Everything here is viewed in proper perspective, including the intent or the purpose of marriage. And he's saying these things do not last for always there is a temporary reality and marriage and the marriage covenant is a temporary reality. Okay. So this is important. The, uh, the church of the Latter-day Saints believe that you you're married and you're married. Uh, you can go through a, uh, a certain ceremony and you're married for eternity. That is not what the scripture teaches. And in fact, Paul is arguing against that point. Marriage is not an eternal place, but it is a temporary reality that only exists on this life. In this life. In heaven, went up there marrying and remarrying because else the, the situation, that's what they were arguing about a little bit. They were actually arguing against the resurrection. Well, you know, if, if a woman marries and then she marries another man and he dies and then she marries another man and he dies and then she marries another man and he dies and the husband just keep on dying and she just keeps on remarrying when she gets to heaven, you got really, you got to really question that sixth and seventh husband's. <laughs> but when they get there, who, who who's, whose wife is she? The Lord said, look, you're missing the whole point. They neither marry nor are given in marriage in heaven. That, that's this is a temporary reality, and so if you are going, to, marriage is important. It's critical. But if you are going to alter everything, you're going to alter everything Paul says for a temporary reality. Because there's persecution coming, you're going to say, "Oh, I got to get married. I got to get married." It, it's going to pass away. What is your motivation here? And so Paul is taking marriage. and and singleness, and he's putting it in the proper perspective. Paul is not arguing against marriage. He's defending marriage, and he's defending singleness, and he's saying, after God has called you, your position in this life ought to serve uh, uh, the kingdom of God. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And so he's giving that caveat there, okay? So he's saying, look, when you're married, uh, you weep. Well, you're not going to weep for always. You rejoice. Well, you're not going to rejoice for always because that's going to pass away. You you go about and deal with this world. Well, that world's going to pass away. He's talking about these things. So now go go
0: to the next verse, if you will. Verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness. All right. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. All right, But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. All right, so look at the word that he uses here, and the Old English
1: translates it maybe in a a way that we don't speak as well today, but I would have you without carefulness. The ESV translates it this way. I want you to be free from anxieties. So Paul is trying to help them, and they are in a present distress. There's anxieties that are coming, and Paul's saying, I want you to be free from that, and he goes on and says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. He doesn't have to uh, uh, work out the, uh, uh, what would you say, the compartmentalizing of his life and trying to balance. He doesn't have that that issue of balance to deal with. How how many Have ever ever had to fight balance in your life? Come on, balance. Right? We all have to deal with balance in our life. It's a struggle. I mean, how many of us are dealing with, you're trying to balance things right now? About time you get something figured out. Something else is gonna come, right? It's gonna happen. So for those that, those that are married that struggle with balance, raise your hand. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. All right. Those that are unmarried and struggle with balance, raise your hand. Look at that. Look at that. There you go. Paul says you're going to have balance issues no matter what is going on. And if you're struggling with balance right now, don't just throw something else on here without understanding the ramifications of what's going to happen in your life. You're not going to be free from that. All right. So he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Maybe we could even say this, but he that is married careth for the things that are of this world. He should be caring about how he may please his wife. Maybe not every man, married man, is caring for how he may please his wife, but he should. He should. So Paul's saying, look, if you have a proper perspective of marriage, you're you're running into things and you don't know. You you need to have a proper perspective of marriage of what's going on. You don't approach marriage and say, okay, I need to get married. This is going to be the, this is just going to help me. This is just going to be, he's like, no, you're missing this out. You're missing, messing everything up. You got to have a proper perspective. He that is married is going to have to deal with how do I please, how do, how do I, how do I please my wife? How do I make her happy? How do I take care of her? Now I've got to, Now I've got to work overtime. Now, whatever it is, not not in the overtime sense, but you know what it is. It's not a man's content in a van down by the river. She isn't. If she complimented your van on the first date, that was not her saying, this is it. I'm content with this. That was not, you know, that's not how that goes. So he's going to have the care. This is the reality. Paul's not Paul is not
0: suppressing marriage here. All right, let's go on. Read read in verse 34. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. Yep. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord yes. that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. All right. But she that is married careth for the things of the world right. how she may please her husband. Right. Right. So so there is care. There is concern. There's you know you
1: you don't want to just uh Janelle loves to cook she doesn't just want to cook she wants to cook something that i'm just going to love right you 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 you're, you're you're taking in another factor there and so paul says look that can be a distracting thing that that's the way marriage ought to work that you may not be able to handle that
0: and so he's putting these things out here okay go on and this i speak for your own profit all right, not that I may cast a snare upon you. All right, but for that which is comely, and yes. that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Here it is. That's the
1: whole basis
0: of what Paul is
1: saying here in verse number thirty-five. He says, "And this I speak for your own profit." So, what's he saying? Everything he just said to those who are in present distress: don't seek to be loosed, don't seek to be bound. He's telling them, look, when you're married, you have to care for the, you're, you're going to have to care for the things of this world. It matters. You can't, you can't just, you know, dress however you want, live how you want. eat what You're going to have to, there's going to be some concern. And he says, I'm telling you this for your benefit. And then look at what he says, not that I may cast a snare on you. What he's literally saying is I am trying to help you. I am not trying to restrain. Paul is saying, look, I'm not coming in trying to withhold things from you. I am not coming to throw a net on you that's going to hold you in a pattern that feels like, oh, well, you know, I could be a, a real good Christian and stay single, or I could be a less Christian and get married. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, what I am telling you is there's some benefits here. I'm not trying to restrain you. Why? He said, but I want you to do what is comely, what, what may uh, that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. That you can serve God. Now here's another principle that you take in context with it. Two are better than one. And when the marriage is right, when the marriage is holy, when the marriage is blessed, there is time where there's not only coordination within the marriage spiritually, but there's compensation. And there is a strength there. There's been times where I've had to lean on my spouse and and man, I need her faith, and I need her encouragement, and and the word of God, because because we're anchored in the Lord. There's a strength there, there's a blessing there, and so I think, and 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 I argue when the marriage is right, when the marriage is good. Yes, it's going to be work, but wow, there's a blessing. There is more that can be accomplished in the kingdom of God. You know, with us together. My, my wife is not a uh, a setback to my ministry. She is the greatest asset to my ministry. I didn't realize how bad I was until I got married. And brother, My pastor was like, man, Andrew, whew, you are so much better now. Like it is. <laughs> like, like you married up. It's true. I was an evangelist. A young, struggling evangelist. I get married. Everybody wants to have her. Have us come. She was so, there was a blessing there. in Her ministry and her spirit. She could sing beautifully and, 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 and still does and all that stuff. But there were times where sometimes people just wanted to have the fellowship. And it's a deal breaker. If I go some places and Janelle can't go with me, sometimes that's a deal breaker. Like when they call to ask me to preach, I used to think, man, it's because I'm such a good preacher. No, nah, it's not really the reason why. That's an asset. So this is what Paul is saying, that you can attend upon the Lord without distraction.
0: Amen. All right, go ahead. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin.
1: Okay, we got we got to work through this quick. This is a difficult passage, and you will find different translations that are going to be in conflict with one another. And this is why you've got to pay attention. So read, I want you to read
0: 36 through 38. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will; he sinneth not. Let him let them marry. Let them. This is a key word. Let them marry. Okay. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. All right. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. All right. All right. So there's some argument over what
1: they are, what he's talking about here. And some believe that this is a father that is overseeing his virgin daughter. In fact, um, the KJV can sort of imply that when it's uh, uh, the NASB though, Gives uh, uh, actually uses that term towards his virgin daughter. It's translated that way, and it gives it gives that implication. Um, Doctor Talmage French suggests, uh, as as he looks at the Greek, he suggests that the NIV may be better for us to understand here. The NASB group uh, uh, would argue that this is a father giving his his daughter, and if he decides, no, you can't get married um then you know he's he's uh he does better uh but that's i don't believe that's what paul is saying and um that can lend itself to a real dominant father kind of demanding choice over the daughter whether i'm going to let her be married or i'm not going to let her be married and that has lent itself through ch- through church history and through history Uh, to obviously certain restraints, and that's not what Paul's trying to do. He just said, I'm not trying to restrain. I'm not trying to put that there. But what this is talking about, I think a lot of Greek scholars would say, is this is talking about those that are in a betrothal. So in our common comparison, it would be those that are engaged. Those that are not married, those that have not consummated the marriage have not acted upon that in no way. There's no sexual union, but they are promised to one another in an engagement. A betrothal was a very significant thing, much more so than our terminology today. It was, it was anchored in contracts and, and, the, and the passing of goods and other kinds of things. It was a big thing. And what Paul is saying is that if someone is in a contract or in this betrothal and says, Look, I don't want to be married. That's okay. And it's better for them to say that now than it is to go on, but if they do marry, well, that's not bad either. If they want to get married, that's fine too. So if you can throw up, I don't know, do we have the NIV version back there? Let's do the NIV version, 1 Corinthians chapter 7: 36 through 38. Um, and let's put the NIV version up there. and I want to read it in this 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 way. I'm waiting for them to put that up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 36 in the NIV says if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry he should do as he wants he is not sinning. So here's Paul saying, look, there's two couples that are engaged after he just said look there's a present distress he's still talking in the context of that if there's someone you've already been engaged to be married this is set up and look he's saying and you are passionately drawn to them, then get married. You're not sinning. They should get married. But look at what he says here in verse 7. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her, he does better. They're, they're, They're listening to their own Will they're making this choice in uh in light of what the Lord uh has put in their life and their their a focus on God so Paul is not arguing here for a a absolute dominance and that the unmarried daughter does not have a choice or a say in the matter
0: and I'll prove that to you because we'll read on read verse 39 the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. Yes, but if her husband be dead, yes, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. All right, only in the Lord. All right, but she okay. Is- so let's stop there and look at this. The wife.
1: Now, what Paul is doing right here in verse thirty-nine, he is recapping or stating the obvious that's already been established, already understood, and that was the Old Testament uh, teachings on marriage, divorce. Jesus' teachings on that. It's already there. Death is the only thing that God intended to break the covenant. So Paul is just summarizing and he's recapping. He is not giving exceptions that he's already permitted for. uh, uh, He's not talking about that, but death. But when death comes, and when that comes, he says she, the woman, is at liberty to be married. So there is a liberty. So Paul is arguing here for remarriage. He's not saying that remarriage is bad. He's not saying if you uh, uh suffer the tragic loss of your spouse, you must remain unmarried in the church. Paul is absolutely not saying. He says she's at liberty to be to be remarried and look at what phrase he attaches to it. To whom she will. What that what that means is that the woman has a say. And who she's going to marry. You don't go around and arrange marriages. You don't go around and tell people who they ought to get married and all this stuff. That there, there has to be something in her heart. Okay, this is somebody that I want to marry. He said, "You do not marry when you get married. You do not get married just to be uh, uh, at the approval of others." But then he follows it up with another phrase, and that is, "Only." In the Lord. So your best friend doesn't have to approve of who you get married to, but God does. God has to approve of who you get married to. And that's critical. And it's gotta be in the body of Christ. And in order to be in the body of Christ, uh, well, the church, where do we judge? Well, we judge, he's already established this in chapters past. We judge in the church. And we do have liberty to say, no, they're not in the body of Christ because we know what God saved us from and what God brought us out of. And we do have a liberty and we do have judgment in that. And so Paul is arguing, look at what he says in verse 40. Go on and read verse
0: 40 and I've got to hurry up. But she is happier if she so abide All right. after my judgment. Yes. And I think also that I have the spirit of God. Paul uses sarcasm.
1: closes out and says, I think also I have the Spirit of God too. There's a contingency of you that think, yeah, you got the Holy Ghost. You don't need to hear me, but yeah, I've got the Holy Ghost too. I have the Spirit of God too. And he says, but look, there is a a, a widow or or there there is a woman that chooses not to get remarried. And look at what Paul says. Paul says, he's saying, I'm thinking, in my judgment, she'll probably be happier. She's already lived with one man and had to deal with him. So Paul, as a man, is saying, I'm thinking she's going to be happier if she just remain. And we laugh about that, but here's the important thing. Paul understands that happiness is not tied to marriage. My favorite marriage book that I will always promote, or, or I have promoted, is the book Sacred Marriage, by Gary Thomas, and the subtitle tells it all. What if God designed marriage more to make us holy than to make us happy? Because marriage is not meant just to make us happy. I do believe that a holy marriage will make you happy. There is happiness that comes from a holy marriage. But in a marriage, it's not two halves that are complete when they come together. No, it's two holes that are going to butt heads. They're going to have to learn how to get along. They're going to have to learn forgiveness. They're going to have to learn understanding that come together, and what happens when you come together in a marriage is you can't progress in the marriage until you learn forgiveness and you learn humility, and when you learn these things in your marriage, guess what? It makes you a better Christian. It makes you a better believer, and when you're a better Christian and you're a better believer, then the happiness comes in. But he's literally saying, honey, if you already had to deal with that once, you don't have to deal with that again unless you just want to. And if you want to, more power to you. I'll throw the rice. I'll say the benediction. You go for it. Whatever you want to do. This is what Paul is saying. So Paul, I'm thankful. This this passage of Scripture ought to liberate. It ought to help us. Everything the world has done about marriage and singleness and sexual immorality and all that stuff has been turned upside down on its head. And Paul says no. (laughs) You're getting all bent out of shape over things. And the end of this, It's only temporal, and the only thing that's going to last forever is God in eternity. And so you better keep your mind and your eyes focused on the Lord and put him first in all things. Would you stand together with me today? Amen. Amen. And Paul uses a little little sarcasm here at the end. I think also I have the Spirit of God. I think also I have the Spirit of God. He's sort of saying that a little bit there, tongue-in-cheek, because he knows he has the Spirit of God. I was in another place, he says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. I don't think that was a compliment. So he knows in who he has believed. I thank God for his word. I thank God for the, 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 the liberating power of his word in our life. It sets us free. And I want to follow after the word of God. Don't devalue somebody because of their situation or their circumstance. You don't devalue someone that's married to an unbelieving spouse. You don't devalue somebody that's married. You don't devalue somebody that's single in the church. God bless you. You are just as much a part of the body of Christ and as valuable in the situation in which you were called. So abide therein. Amen. Can we put our hands together and thank the Lord tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So come on down, kids. Come on down, children. Come on down, youth. So we struggle. We struggle with this, and we are not honest with ourselves if we pretend like we don't struggle with this. There are struggles in life. If you are a married person and you're struggling, you're not a bad person. You're just human. If you're a single person and you're struggling and you're wondering in question, you're not a bad person. You're just human. And so this is important for us to get established. And where else do we go but to?